Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. no admission of fault or liability. Also, please understand that due to the pending criminal charges, there are limits on the comments that the mayor and I are able to make today. With that, I will turn it over to Mayor Spotfelter. Thank you, Bob, and uh, good afternoon to all of you. Uh, I want uh, first and foremost to express uh, all of our sympathies to the family of Jonathan Farrell. And I want to thank especially Mrs. Farrell and Brother Willie for the grace that they have showed throughout uh, this very difficult process. Uh, we all know that money uh, never can fully compensate anyone for a loss, but the City Council unanimously agreed that a prompt re resolution of the civil case was in the best interests of the family, of the city, and of the greater Charlotte community. All of us, I think, should be thankful for the way that the police department and the citizens in this community have sought each other out and have joined together to work through the challenging circumstances that resulted from the tragedy involving Mr. Farrell and Officer Carrick. The events surrounding this case have prompted an open, candid, and wide-ranging community dialogue about very difficult issues. Our police chief, his leadership team, Officers and numerous members of the Charlotte community have committed countless hours, each trying to learn how the world looks through eyes and experiences very different from their own. And we also know that it is imperative that these tough conversations continue if we are to remain a united community. It is my hope and expectation that the Council's adoption earlier this year of a set of guiding principles to govern interactions between law enforcement officers and the citizens they served, coupled with the firm commitment of the department itself to carry out those principles in action, will help Charlotte maintain strong bonds of trust between law enforcement and the community as a whole. Our men and women in uniform need the partnership of citizens and community leaders to do their jobs effectively. And our citizens need to know that those who serve them are willing to listen, to learn, and to adjust when required to do so to address concerns. We all, in other words, need each other. The Farrell family has expressed a strong interest in the ongoing work of the city on these issues and is committed to working with the city to see that out of this family tragedy can come healing. In light of the pending criminal trial, we are, as Mr. Hagman said, going to have to limit discussion on specifics of the case but at this time, uh, the city attorney and I will take some general questions. Well, the, the civil case has been ongoing for some time, and uh, the negotiations in the civil case have been also ongoing for some time. Uh, you may know that we started a mediation process uh, under the court-ordered mediation earlier in the year, 
and this settlement has come to fruition as a result of that process. Well, we, uh, we, we really aren't uh, able to talk at all about the criminal trial, and I don't really know what, if any, impact at all uh, this could or could not have on the criminal trial. The, the case stands, the civil case has to stand on its own facts and the law applicable in the civil lawsuit, and that's really what was considered in the settlement. Yeah, this is the um, latest Again, as I referenced in the statement earlier this year, the City Council adopted a formal statement of principles to direct uh, the interactions on the use of force by the Department. Uh, the Chief has uh, been working through a set of detailed recommendations for how he will implement those principles, and they do include uh, matters addressing training of new officers and existing officers. I think you'll be seeing that coming forward to Council for Action in June. Ms. Hagman, I don't know if you want to say anything further about that. Talk are not necessarily views of talk shoes, jamradioproductions.com, and sponsors. This is a Sunday evening forum nation talk. Nation talk is a live public affairs 
program to deal with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia.
For a printed transcript of today's program, visit our website at creationmoments.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-42-BIBLE. That's 1-800-422-4253. And be sure to join us next time for another Creation Moment, proclaiming evidence of God's truth. granted. Most days go by without a whole lot of surprises. But what if a disaster strikes without warning? What if life as you know it has completely turned on its head? What if everything familiar becomes anything but? Would you be prepared? Before a disaster turns your family's world upside down, it's up to you to be ready. Get a kit. Make a plan. Be informed today. Learn how at www.ready.gov. Ready.gov. This message brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Ad Council. In November 2004, Jose was sentenced to eight years for committing a gun crime. His wife and two sons were left alone. Uh, today I want to talk to you about being arrested. My family has suffered immensely. They're the ones that really suffered the most for my decisions that I've made in my life. When you were arrested and uh, you went to jail, what were you thinking about? My, my kids, my wife, my mother, my brother, my dad. Do you think your boys know what's going on? It's kind of hard for them, so they just deny it. If you could do things over again, what would you change? Um, I would try to change the mistakes that I've made in my life because um, your family suffers, especially your kids. That's a pain I would never want to put them through ever again. When you commit a gun crime, your family serves the sentence with you. Gun crimes hit home. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Now, these opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views from Talk Show, Jam Radio Productions, Sohead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk.
and uh, the guy was a former football player, and uh, he was, well, well, we'll get the story for you in a moment as soon as it comes up. Um, this is from what, an article from thenation.com. And um, it gives you like a tells you what happened, why Jonathan Farrell, former football player, was shot and killed by police. And this article was written, this was a blog, a racism and discrimination blog. Uh, the death, it, a, this is another, this is another case of trigger-happy police officers. 24-year-old, and the article title is Jonathan Farrell, football player, killed by police after seeking help following car crash. This is an article by David Zareen. Jonathan Farrell, is seen in an updated, undated photo provided by Florida A&M University. 12-24 was shot and killed Saturday, September 14, 2013, by North Carolina police officer Randall Carrick after a wreck in Charlotte, North Carolina. Farrell was unharmed. Uh, if you if after if after Tyron, Tyron, Tremont, Trayvon Martin, Oscar Grant, and Darius Simmons, you thought you could be sick sickened by racial violence, but no longer shock. You need to know the story of Jonathan Farrell. This past weekend, as the country remembers the 50th anniversary of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham that took the lives of four girls, another murder draped in racism to a police, to a a place, it took place, and the details, even in these jaded times, are Shocking. Dan Terrell, who was a 24-year-old football player at Florida A&M, crashed his car in Charlotte, North Carolina. The wreck was so awful that Terrell, according to police, had to climb out of the back of the window. He somehow stumbled in the middle of the night. Uh-oh. Stumbled in the middle of the night.
lost a place. Let's start again. Uh, John Zafrell, 24-year-old football player at Florida A&M University, FAMU, crashed his car in Charlotte, North Carolina. The record was so off that Pharrell called the police had to climb out the back, out his back window. He somehow stumbled in the middle of the night to the closest home and pounded on the door, banging, quote, banging on the door viciously. It was, quote, in the bizarre phasing of Charlotte Police Chief Rodney Monroe and begged for help. According to the police reports, the person inside didn't call an ambulance but hit her alarm panic button indicating to the police that the home invasion was in progress. As the Charlotte PD approached, Farrell continued to attempt to gain the attention of the, of the homeowner. When they arrived, Farrell charged toward, toward them. One of the three officers tased Farrell, when that did not stop his advance, 27-year-old, 27-year-old officer Randall Carroll opened, opened fire, hitting John Farrell 10 times. Initial media reports said three times, killing him at the scene. Officer Craddock uh, was the only police officer to take out his gun and fire, which raises questions about the description of Farrell as, quote, charging towards them after being tased. According to the Charlotte Observer, the police actually said initially that Craddock's uh, Action were appropriate and lawful, yet the bizarreness of the shooting, the absence of any evidence Pharrell was under the influence of any other than possibly concussion, and the fact that there was really no way to spin this meant that Greg was quickly arrested and charged with voluntary manslaughter. According to North Carolina law, voluntary, voluntary manslaughter means that Craig acts with imperfect self-defense. The police statement said that, that, quote, the evidence revealed that Mr. Farrell did advance on Officer Craig, and the investigation showed that the suspect, the, sub- the subsequent shooting of Mr. Farrell was ex- was excessive. Our investigation has shown that Officer Craig did not have a lawful right to discharge his weapon during this encounter. John Farrell was a member of. Florida AMM's 2010 championship team. He was 
he was born to turn 25 in October and was engaged to be married. He was called the shepherd for 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 the way he looked after those around him. His mother, Georgia, and twin brother, Willie Fell, who also played on the A&M team, spoke to CNN this morning. They shot sadness on this, on full display. His college coach, Earl Holmes, was stunned, saying, quote, I was saddened when they told me. They told me he was murdered. I said, what? Murdered? That was that. That does not sound like him. Not the Jonathan I remember. The Jonathan I remember was soft. Was a soft-spoken kid, quiet to himself. A lot of times, bad things happen to good people in a court, but they don't just happen. One of the reasons there was so much media mainstream outrage, according to the murder of. Around the murder of Trayvon Martin was because he was he wasn't killed at the hands of the police. When the police killed an unarmed black or brown male, the media, the, polit- the political establishment, and even many mainstream civil rights organizations are inclined to give them a major benefit of the doubt. One can ask the families of Marley Graham or Sean Bell if that sounds about right, being stopped by the police for driving GWB or driving while black is outrage enough. Being killed by police for S. HWB seeking help white seeking help, help seeking while black seeking help while black demands a response. When the four girls of the 16th Street Black 16th Street Baptist Church were killed, many asked how the United States could could lecture the world about democracy, the human rights when it doesn't guarantee the safety of children in our house of worship. Let's update this. How can President Obama lecture the world about the American values the United States wants to project in the Middle East when an unarmed young man asks for help after a wreck, after a car wreck being seen as a lethal target. Forget post-racism, America. We can only hope after, we can hope, only hope that after Trevor Martin, we aren't post-outrage. The Pharrells deserve, if nothing else, our collective insistence that there be justice for them, Pharrell and that such a senseless death never happened again. Uh, Christy uh, Yandoli 
Okay. Now, that was an interesting article by Nation, the nation.com, which is a blog, which, writ, which was written by Dan Zuran. You could go online to, to the nation.com and you could find this article. About this, about this incident, how terrible this murder was. Now we're going to talk about more about this. And uh, confront. I found a nine one one. I think I, I think it was a nine one one call that was they found, but. Um, When we come back, we're going to come back with um, we're going to come back with more about this case, plus more news and views, and a hell and farewell to Bombington Bailey. Bonton, Bailey, Bonton, and Bailey Circus. Tonight was the last performance. A hell farewell to the world's greatest circus. This is Nation Talk. Let's try this one. It's 
a broom closet. Don't be silly, dear. It was a broom closet. Mallet's apartment 3AA. Potential landlords can and will check your credit before giving you a lease. Don't let your credit put you in a bad place. Go to controlyourcredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council. Here's a piece of nation talking about next to the views of Talk Gem Radio Production, com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is your Sunday evening forum. Tonight, we're talking about the mistrial, the, the Jonathan Farrell mistrial in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, how in the world did the city of Charlotte miss the, a mistrial of this of this case, I don't understand, and I don't understand, and how in the heck that happened. This case has been uh, was mistrial. They consider they sell it as a mistrial. Why? It's really hard to say because really hard to really say actually what happened. Um, now, I gave you the backstory of it. Now, Here is some more stories about the trial itself. Continuing coverage, trial begins Monday for the officer accused of shooting and killing a former FAMU football player. Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Officer Randall Carrick is accused of killing Jonathan Farrell two years ago. Farrell was unarmed at the time of the shooting. Attorneys on both sides will have the chance to offer jurors their own interpretations of critical events before, during, and after that shooting. And on Wednesday, the final alternate juror was selected. Now state prosecutors and the defense team are preparing their crucial opening statements to present their cases to the jury. All right. Now, I believe there's a 911 
I think there's a 911, actual 911 call of what happened. Um, let me see if I can find it. What actually what happened? Uh, in the beginning of the at the beginning of the program, you heard the the beginning, or in the beginning of the program, you heard um, the, the press conference um, about the case and and what happened. Uh, I see you, Mike. I see you. Um, uh, the press conference. Now, I was trying to find actually the. Okay, here's a here's an update on the Charlotte officer shooting. As you said, it was a sad scene here last night. A lot of folks in shock this morning after learning that 42-year-old Corporal Michael Wilson was shot in the line of duty last night. As you said, he was responding to a report of a domestic dispute. No, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, no, that's not it. I want to get the the... Okay, here you go. Now to continuing coverage on the shooting death of former of a former FAMU football player. Trial for the officer suspected of killing him begins next week in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Officer Randall Carrick is facing manslaughter charges in the death of Jonathan Farrell. The court has called for about 100 extra people for jury duty after jury summons went out for more than a month ago. A total of 321 people are expected to show up for duty Monday. Carrick is charged with killing Farrell back in September of 2013. He was shot by the officer while he was trying to get help after he crashed his car. Farrell was unarmed during the incident. And coming up tonight at 11, we will hear from Farrell's family. I'll to continue. All right. Well, ask just... Basically, get the background of the, of the case of what actually what happened and um, of what happened during the shooting. He, it was a mistrial. Mike. Mike. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doing. Hey, Mike. Oh. There you go. I got you now. <laughs> okay, then. So, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Good. Uh, was this something about the, some some police shooting somewhere in North Carolina? Yeah, it was a it just, was a police just now shooting. going to trial. Well, 
it it, it was a mistrial, as a matter of fact. Why? I don't know. Um, and I'm I'm just still trying to get the gist of actually of what happened and why was he killed and why. Um, he was unarmed. First of all, he first of all he was a former football player at FAMU. And he he was in a car accident. He got out the car, and he he was disoriented. Then he went to the first house he went to. It was this lady's house. It's it the house he went to. Banged on the door. The lady got scared. Took, took the alarm on. Think think it was a. It was an invasion, house right. uh, home invasion. He couldn't get no answer, so the police finally the police arrived. He came close to the police officer. The police officer thought he was in danger of him, and shot him. He was Just unarmed. Like that. Yep, he was unarmed. Uh. Yeah, but why is it taking so long to go to court or to have, have a trial and all this sort of stuff? This 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 has been this has been really hurting my spirit for a long time. Yeah. Okay, that I, I found this. Of ten let's see where is it where's the title of this? Is Oh, come on you <laughs> Yeah. Uh, John Farrell, ex-college football player, killed by police. Five fast facts you need to know. Okay. This is from Heavy. Heavy.com. This is stuff. Now, this is news that you probably that really. This is stuff that even news don't really don't 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 bring out. And that's why you hear here on Talk Show. First thing is Pharrell got into a car accident. Okay. Okay. Pharrell got into a terrible car accident and the Brainfield Farms section of Charlotte, North Carolina, early that Saturday morning. Judging by the state of the vehicle, and um, police now believe that Pharrell likely had to climb out the back of his car, back window of his car, in order to escape. Right. Uh, it's still undetermined if Pharrell had been injured in the in the accident or potential or potential injuries such as a concussion could have played a role incident that ended his life later that day. Uh, 
Second, he ran to to the first house for help. After Pharrell, after Pharrell escaped from the car, police believe he ran to the first house he could find for help. Pharrell arrived at the house of a woman who believed the person knocking on the door was her husband. Local police chief Rodney Monroe said that when the woman opened the door, opened the door to her surprise, it was a person she did not know or recognize. She immediately closed the door, hit hit her panic alarm, and called nine one one. She apparently reported an attempt breaking and entering. Breaking and entering, according to CNN. Police said, number three, police said Pharrell charged them. Shortly after the 911 call, three police officers arrived on the scene and quickly located a man that, quote, fit the description, unquote, given to them by the woman who had called the police. Right. Chief Police Chief Monroe said, quote, immediately charged towards the three officers, one in particular. That officer fired his weapon several times, striking the individual multi times. A CNN also reported that a stun gun was fired at Varel unsuccessfully. Okay, Randall, number four, Randall uh, Carrick is in custody. That's the police officer. Randall Carrick, a 27-year-old police officer, was arrested later that night and charged with voluntary manslaughter. And the two police and, and the two other police on the scene report on administrative leave while the investigation continues according to local news station WSOC. The police department put out this statement following Correct's arrest, which reads, quote, this is a very unfortunate incident and it's devastating it has devastated a family as well as caused a great deal of sadness and anxiety in our organization. However, we must also strive to bring forth all facts and evidence in every case to determine when it is appropriate to place criminal charges against a member of the department. End of quote. His, in number five, his bail is set at $50,000. What? Crowd, his bail was set for $50,000. Oh, for $50,000. Yeah. Carrot turned himself in on that Saturday evening as being held as a, as of Sunday morning, of that Sunday morning, on a $50,000 bail. 
So that's some quick, that's the five quick things I didn't know, and probably some others didn't, and some probably didn't know either, and some people probably knew about. And this trial, it has put a wrinkle on, and this is another, this is another shooting that compared to, not really compared to, um, exactly compared to Trayvon Martin, but almost similar, different cities, different state, but just one was by police and one was by a so-called um, security person, whatever. Because as a matter of fact, me and you talked about it, um, ooh, we, I, we talked about it some time back. I, some time back, I re, I re- listening to the, the program when right. I on the one night uh I was re listening to it and it, it it's messed up. It is this is a messed up this case is messed up and I and the Pharrell family should get what they should get what they should get something for their pain and suffering. In this, they should, because it doesn't make any sense. And you know, I understand they have to be safe, and that they may think that somebody may have a weapon, but not every black person has a weapon on them. Even if he had a weapon, as long as it wasn't in his hand or going for a weapon or uh, visible, it still shouldn't shouldn't kill him. Yeah, they shouldn't. Always first to, to approach somebody and, and you know like uh, is that is that something or is that something wrong or yeah 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 what are you doing in this neighborhood or something you know what I mean? Right. But they seem to be killing people just like that because. It's a stray dog running running down the street. Shoot the dog. And that's the mentality. And that's wrong. It's very wrong. And that's some things that... That's why I'm bringing this up because... Bring this to attention because... We have too many shootings in our cities. Too many cities in our cities, especially police-related. Hold on, hold on. They're all police-related. And they shooting while shooting because you are uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put it out. I think a lot of these are ratio. Uh, pretty much ratio. We're coming up very quickly at the top of the hour, believe it or not. 
Time goes by quickly when you're having fun. This is Nation Talk.
It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The views of Peace and Nation Talk and unless the views of CalcHue, Jam Radio Production, SonaHead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Of course, he departed the U.S. on Friday in the midst of really the biggest domestic crisis uh, of his presidency, or really a, a worsening of the existing, existing crisis in his presidency. From inside uh, the, the Trump team, do you sense uh, a feeling that this has been a successful start to the trip, uh, re-energized as they make this arms deal, give this speech, etc.? I think there's no question about that, Jim, that the administration was looking for a reboot. They were looking for a chance to change the subject, quite frankly. And they did that indeed with this speech today. But I think you're so struck by the difference here between President Trump and candidate Trump, almost as though they were two entirely different people. He, of course, rode the anger and rage domestically, the Islamophobism in some respect in the Republican primary to uh, become the general election candidate. And today that rhetoric was gone entirely. Uh, I think we were struck by that first and foremost, that quite frankly, uh, not as many differences in this speech today than there actually was in the speech that Barack Obama gave eight years ago in Cairo. I was at that speech as well, and of course the message of, of uh, uh, terrorism and terrorists so different uh, that that time uh, the, the President Obama hardly raised that, used that word, but otherwise the messages were more similar. And I was also struck by the difference in audiences, of course. President Trump making this speech to leaders, making this speech to people, uh, and it was lecturing, of course, and it wasn't, but there was no a way around not lecturing. But President Obama gave his speech to students at Cairo University, of course, before the, uh, the Arab Spring uh, and the uprising there. But I think in terms of learning the Trump doctrine, which is not going to come at one moment, it's going to be sort of stitched together, this speech went a long way in delivering that, that he did drop the rhetoric from his campaign, and he is going to be more in the lines of a conventional 
American politician and president here. So uh, tough medicine perhaps, particularly on Iran. That is something that Saudi Arabia, the leaders here, definitely want to hear. But we'll see what he does in action. Will the U.S. withdraw from that Iran nuclear arrangement? So I think there was uh, something in here for everyone in this speech. So by that degree, I think this White House views it as a success. But boy, this is the beginning and the easy part, if you will. Certainly not uh, anything that will change in the moment. But a strong leader, he certainly looked like a strong U.S. leader here, so much stronger than when he got on that airplane in Washington. Of course, all that is waiting for him. But on the foreign stage, at least, Jim, I can tell you, he is viewed as a person of strength. Good evening and welcome to the second hour of Nature Talk. Trump is Trump the greatest dancer because he's dancing around the different countries doing trying to is he the greatest dancer because he's trying to hustle his way to friendship? Oh boy, get your dancing shoes on, cause he's gonna be he's gonna be dancing and prancing all over the globe. <laughs> hey, Mike. Uh huh. What's this? What's this about Trump making hit headlines and and uh? In the, uh, the Arab countries, in the, what is it? Yeah, I think he's trying to make a hit in the Arab country. I think uh-uh. he's, he's trying to make a deal. Trying to make a deal, trying to make, uh, I don't know what, well, he made a speech, and I'm going to play it. Um, and if, I'm going to play it in a few minutes. Um, or at least portions of it to to what he said, and I was listening to NPR. He said they are they were listening very carefully what he was saying, listening very carefully because what he said on the campaign trail was very harsh words to them. And then now he's now that he's elected, he's now the man in the seat. I think he's kissing butt now. Not really. <clears throat> he's playing. He's playing a game. Yeah, that and that and kissing butt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I can I can hear the kissing I can hear the the kissing now. He's trying to sound like he's trying to sound like as Bashifa would say and I'm gonna play this but Trump's sounded like a president in Saudi Arabia speech. Hold on. Yeah. And I like Bashifa. Bashifa is the kind he he's the kind that Tells it like it is. He calls it. He calls it as he sees it. You, 
What does this moment in time feel like? Well, uh, we have seen this movie before, and uh, the parallels uh, between this and Watergate are striking. Uh, you know, you saw the uh, Richard Nixon tried to crush the investigation. He fired the special prosecutor. Uh, you saw much the same thing uh, from President uh, uh, Trump uh, over the last week. But again, today, you saw a very different President Trump. He actually sounded presidential. Uh, you may agree or disagree with what he said, uh, but he sounded like a president. He laid out his vision. He called for help from those in the Muslim world. Uh, it was a much different kind of presentation. I mean, the, pre uh, the president doesn't pay much attention to advice from others, but I would think if he just pay attention to himself today, uh, this went over very well, mainly because he stayed on script. No, no tweets today, but no, a, a dignified speech. No tweets of any, of any real interest in the last few days. Uh, in, in fact, Bob, by asking the question, you know, or calling this the what-if presidency, are you suggesting that this crisis that he was in or is in, even before this trip to Saudi Arabia, is of his own making? And by noting today that he gave a speech which was a coherent foreign policy, are you noting that he could unmake this crisis also? Well, I think uh, the very few people would disagree with me when I say he helped himself today uh, because uh, he didn't sound like the guy at the end of the bar popping off. He sounded like someone who had actually thought about what he was going to say before he said it. You know, Bob, though, that there will be people who look at that last comment you just made and said, you're normalizing the president. You're saying because he met this admittedly very low bar for not sounding foolish. In fact, he was, in fact, presidential. What would you say to criticism like that? Well, I, I'm not uh, trying to normalize him in any way. I'm trying to do what uh, reporters do, and that report and try to emphasize what I think was important here. Uh, I have many questions about this policy. For one thing, is he going to set off an arms race in the Middle East? Uh, is Russia going to now begin selling arms to Iran? Uh, there are many things you can say about this. Uh, but, again, uh, he kept a hold on the tweets, he stuck to the script, and he sounded much different, not only than he sounded all of last week, uh, but throughout the campaign. <gasps> no tweets? No. Uh, this you know, was a different presentation today. And you, you, no tweets? I can't believe it. He didn't tweet nothing. I am so shocked. My God. Okay, before you, okay, I know y'all going to say, Get off of it, chickens. Get off of it. You're dumping on them now. Well, I'm doing what I'm doing what a podcaster do. And that's call it like I see it. Alright. Here's his speech. I'm gonna try to play as much as I can on it. You be the judge. Now, I 
King Solomon, the crown prince, and the deputy crown prince have been filled with great warmth, goodwill, and tremendous cooperation. Yesterday we signed historic agreements with the kingdom that will invest almost $400 billion in our two countries and create many hundreds of thousands of jobs in America and Saudi Arabia. This landmark agreement includes the announcement of a $110 billion Saudi-funded defense purchase, and we will be sure to help our Saudi friends to get a good deal from our great American defense companies, the greatest anywhere in the world. This agreement will help the Saudi military to take a far greater role in security and operations having to do with security. We've also started discussions with many of the countries present today on strengthening partnerships and forming new ones to advance security and stability across the Middle East and far beyond. Later today, we will make history again with the opening of the new Global Center for Combating Extremist Ideology, located right here in the central part of the Islamic world. This groundbreaking new center represents a clear declaration that Muslim-majority countries must take the lead in combating radicalization, and I want to express our gratitude to King Salva for his strong demonstration and his absolutely incredible and powerful leadership. I have had the pleasure of welcoming several of the leaders present today to the White House, and I look forward to working with all of you. America is a sovereign nation, and our first priority is always the safety and security of our citizens. We are not here to lecture. We are not here to tell other people how to live, what to do, who to be, or how to worship. Instead, we are here to offer partnership based on shared interests and values, to pursue a better future. Here at this summit, but above all, we must be united in pursuing the one goal that transcends every other consideration. And the worst of the destruction in this wave of fanatical violence. Some estimates hold that more than 95% of the victims of terrorism are themselves Muslim. We now face a humanitarian and security disaster in this region that is spreading across the planet. It is a tragedy of epic proportions. No description of the suffering and depravity can begin to capture its full measure. The Tukro of ISIS, if you look at what's happening, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, Hamas, and so many others must be counted not only in the number of dead, it also must be counted in generations of vanished dreams.
one of the great global centers of commerce and opportunity. This region should not be a place from which refugees flee, but to which newcomers flock. Saudi Arabia is home to the holiest sites in one of the world's great faiths. Each year, millions of Muslims come from around the world to Saudi Arabia to take part in the Hajj. In addition to ancient wonders, this country is also home to modern ones, including soaring achievements in architecture. Egypt was a thriving center of learning and achievement thousands of years before other parts of the world. The wonders of Giza, Luxor, and Alexandria are proud monuments to that ancient heritage. All over the world, people dream of walking through the ruins of Petra in Jordan. Terrorists do not worship God. They worship death. If we do not act against this organized terror, then we know what will happen and what will be the end result. Terrorism's devastation of life will continue to spread. Peaceful societies will become engulfed by violence, and the futures of many generations will be sadly squandered. If we do not stand in uniform condemnation of this killing, then not only will we be judged by our people, not only will we be judged by history, but we will be judged by God. This is not a battle between different faiths, different sects, or different civilizations. This is a battle between barbaric criminals who seek to obliterate human life and decent people, all in the name of religion, people that want to protect life and want to protect their religion. This is a battle between good and evil. When we see the scenes of destruction in the wake of terror, we see no signs that those murdered were Jewish or Christian, Shia or Sunni. When we look upon the strains of innocent blood soaked into the ancient ground, we cannot see the faith or sect or tribe of the victims. We see only that they were children of God whose deaths are an insult to all that is holy. We can only overcome this evil if the forces of good are united and strong, and if everyone in this room does their fair share and fulfills their part of the burden. Terrorism has spread all across the world, but the path to peace begins right here on this ancient soil in this sacred land. America is prepared to stand with you in pursuit of shared interests and common security, but the nations of the Middle East cannot wait for American power to crush this enemy for them. The nations of the Middle East will have to decide what kind of future they want for themselves, for their country, and frankly, for their families and for their children. It's a choice between two futures. And it is a 
better future is only possible if your nations drive out the terrorists and drive out the extremists. And we're going to return with more of the President's speech in Saudi Arabia. This is Nation Talk, your Sunday evening forum. Supporting our Afghan partners. 
and supporting them strongly. In Mosul, American troops are supporting Kurds, Sunnis, and Shias fighting together for their homeland. Qatar, which hosts the U.S. Central Command, is a crucial strategic partner. Our long-standing partnership with Kuwait and Bahrain continue to enhance security in the region. Our courageous Afghan soldiers are making tremendous sacrifices in the fight against the Taliban and others in the fight for their country. As we deny terrorist organization control of territory and population, we must also strip them of their access to funds. We must cut off the financial channels that let ISIS sell oil, let extremists pay their fighters, and help terrorists smuggle their reinforcements. I am proud to announce that the nations here today will be signing an agreement to prevent the financing of terrorism called the Terrorist Financing Targeting Center, co-chaired by the United States and Saudi Arabia, and joined by every member of the Gulf Cooperation Council. It is another historic step in a day that will be long remembered. I also applaud the Gulf Cooperation Council for blocking funders from using their countries as a financial base for terror and for designating Hezbollah as a terrorist organization, which they certainly are, last year. Saudi Arabia also joined us this week in placing sanctions on one of the most senior leaders of Hezbollah. Of course, there is still much work to be done. That means honestly confronting the crisis of Islamic extremism and the Islamists and Islamic terror of all kinds. We must stop what they're doing to inspire, because they do nothing to inspire but kill. And we are having a very profound effect if you look at what's happened recently. And it means standing together against the murder of innocent Muslims, the oppression of women, the persecution of Jews, and the slaughter of Christians. Religious leaders must make this absolutely clear. Barbarism will deliver you no glory. Piety to evil will bring you no dignity. If you choose the path of terror, your life will be empty, your life will be brief, and your soul will be fully condemned. Home to Christians, Muslims, and Jews living side by side. We must practice tolerance and respect for each other once again and make this region a place where every man and woman, no matter their faith or ethnicity, can enjoy a life of dignity and hope. In that spirit, after concluding Myers in a fabulous place that we're at today, Riyadh. 
which I've gotten to know so well in so short a time. I will travel to Jerusalem and Bethlehem and then to the Vatican, visiting many of the holiest places in the three Abrahamic faiths. If these three faiths can join together in cooperation, then peace in this world is possible, including peace between Israelis and Palestinians. I will be meeting with both Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Palestinian President Abbas. Starving terrorists of their territory, of their funding, and the false allure of the craven ideology will be the basis for easily defeating them. But no discussion of stamping out this threat would be complete without mentioning the government that gives terrorists all three, safe harbor, financial backing, and the social standing needed for recruitment. It is a regime that is responsible for so much instability in that region. I am speaking, of course, of Iran. From Lebanon to Iraq to Yemen, Iran funds arms and trains terrorists, militias, and other extremist groups that spread destruction and chaos across the region. For decades, Iran has fueled the fires of sectarian conflict and terror. It is a government that speaks openly of mass murder, vowing the destruction of Israel, death to America, and ruin for many leaders and nations in this very room. Among Iran's most tragic and destabilizing interventions, you've seen it in Syria. Bolstered by Iran, Assad has committed unspeakable crimes, and the United States has taken firm action in response to the use of banned chemical weapons by the Assad regime, launching 59 missiles at the Syrian airbase from where that murderous attack originated. Responsible nations must work together to end the humanitarian crisis in Syria, eradicate ISIS, and restore stability to the region and as quickly as possible. The Iranian regime's longest suffering victims are its own people. Iran has a rich history and culture, but the people of Iran have endured hardship and despair through their leaders' reckless pursuit of conflict and terror. Until the Iranian regime is willing to be a partner for peace, all nations of countries must work together to isolate, deny it. Funding for terrorism cannot do it. And pray for the day when the Iranian people have the just and righteous government they so richly deserve. The decisions we make will affect countless lives. King Solomon, I thank you for the creation of this great moment in history and for your massive investments in America and its industries and its jobs. I also thank you for
will lift up millions and millions of people. Parents who no longer worry for their children, their families, and who no longer mourn for their loved ones. And the faithful who finally worship without fear. Okay. What do you think? You think he um blows smoke? <laughs> or is kinda of, or is he so sincere about this? Well, who knows how this is gonna who knows how this is gonna end up. And if the if efforts is going to pay off. But um Okay, now, one of another um, story that has been out. Is about Steve Harvey, and that's been a big story about Steve Harvey and. Uh, And how he fired his staff in Chicago. I think this is it, here. Okay, here it is. Look at what the lady's talking about. What's up, family? Breaking news. Steve Sorry, otherwise known as Steve Harvey, is firing his entire daytime talk crew. And he's moving to L.A. to start a new show. Now, what's telling about this is that these are people that he worked closely with every day. And he didn't have the decency to tell them himself. Now, some of you are going to say, well, you know, people get fired all the time. Nobody gets to talk to the CEO. CEO don't fire people. You know, he gets his underlings to do it. True. But in this time... Steve Harvey lays 
down the law in a blistering memo that has just been leaked, telling his staff at times not to approach him or even speak to him. The memo lit up social media, and a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that Steve was on some kind of power trip. So what was really going through his mind? I found out when I talked to Steve exclusively by phone today. So, Steve, what happened with the memo? I wrote it at the beginning of the year because I was trying to find out ways that I could just get more me time time for me. I'm a 60-year-old man, and I could not find a way to walk from the stage to my dressing room, to sit in my makeup chair, to walk from my dressing room to the stage, or to just sit and have lunch without somebody just walking in. Steve Harvey spoke to us exclusively this morning from Chicago, where his talk show is wrapping up its last day of production before it's moved to L.A. In a startling memo to staffers that just leaked, Harvey wrote, quote, There will be no meetings in my dressing room, no stopping by or popping in. No one. Do not come to my dressing room unless invited. Do not open my dressing room door. It goes on. If you open my door, expect to be removed. My security team will stop everyone from standing at my door who have the intent to see or speak to me. Steve told me he sent the memo because some staffers were taking advantage of his open-door policy. I'm in the hallway. I'm getting ambushed by people with friends that come to the show and having me sign this and do this. I just said, wait a minute. So who leaked the memo? Well, Steve has some suspicion. You know, at the end of the season, everybody knows the show is moving to Los Angeles. A couple of people are not happy with that. They're disgruntled. So why would you wait? until the end of the season to report something that I gave you back in August. And it was just simply asking everybody to honor and respect that. Look, man, anybody, if you come out your house, you don't want nobody on your porch waiting on you. You walk in your car, you don't want people bothering you on the way to car. Everybody wants the freedom to be able to move around. I just didn't want to be in this prison anymore where I had to stay in this one little room, scared to go out and take a breath of fresh air without somebody approaching me. So I wrote the letter, man. I don't apologize about the letter, but it's kind of crazy when people who took this thing and ran, man. I appreciate you asking me. All right. Now you got, now, now, now you know why. Now you know why. Steve wrote the memo. All right. When we come back, a hail and farewell to the greatest show on earth. Where do baby smiles come from? No, it's not gas. They're imitating the monkeys. So says evolution. That's next on today's Creation Moment. And now our Creation Moments host, Ian Taylor. Did you know it's practically impossible to laugh without smiling at the same time? Well, you try it sometime. Or you can make laughing sounds without smiling, but you can't laugh for real. Well, if you're anything like me, you just might laugh out loud when you hear what evolutionists are now telling us about why babies smile and laugh. According to evolutionists at Kyoto University, babies smile not because they are amused or because they are trying to communicate with their parents. Babies smile for the same reason that monkeys smile, to facilitate the development of cheek muscles, enabling humans, chimpanzees, and Japanese monkeys to produce smiles, laughs, and grimaces. 
And they add, spontaneous smiles don't express feelings of pleasure in chimpanzees and Japanese monkeys. Rather, the smiles are more similar to submissive signals and grimaces rather than smiles. According to study author Masaki Tomonaga, we can infer that the origin of smiles goes back at least 30 million years, when old world monkeys and our direct ancestors diverged. Really now, do evolutionists honestly expect us to believe this? There's nothing funny about evolutionary nonsense like this. The reason we smile, even when we're babies, is because God created human beings as emotional creatures capable of expressing an incredibly wide range of feelings. When's the last time you thanked God for such a wonderful gift? Creation Moments exists to glorify God by presenting evidence for the literal truth of the Bible. For more information, visit our website at creationmoments.com and join us again for another Creation Moment, proclaiming evidence of God's truth. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. I saw the tigers and I think I saw 
one of the fifty of fifty of 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 the, the guys with the tigers. I think I saw one of them with the, with the tigers. Siegfried and Floyd. I saw one of them or both of them. So it was so cool to actually go back to actually see all these animals uh, doing the show. And for a lot of kids, um, it was an experience. According to, according to what I heard on NPR, that because of the sales of the circus has dropped. That's the reason why Ringling Brothers and Barnabin and Bailey Circus is um, is discontinuing. And it's one of the world's oldest circus acts. I mean, one of the oldest circuses in the world, and they've traveled everywhere. And I'm sorry to say that they won't be they won't be around. But we we still have one other circus that's um uh. What's the name of that circus? Um, I can't think of the name of the circus now. <laughs> Universal Soul. We still have Universal Soul. For how long? I don't know. And what they're going to do with the animals, they're going to retire the animals and put them in, take them back out to the wild or um. Um. Just have them. Just have them. Um. Just. I don't think they're gonna put them out the pasture, but they're gonna just let them retire. Just live their the retirement days. So. As as you hear in the background, this is one of the performances that they do. And this, like I said, this is from um, American Airlines Arena in Miami. And the cool part about this, they have sometimes two and three acts in the main in the main ring going on at the same time. And it's so cool. They have the animals, they bring out the animals and they'll have the the, the the folks on the on the high wire. I mean they got these guys on skates now doing formation skating. It's so cool. They are very unique. And and I think it was costing the circus money too by 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 traveling. Mikey, there. Yep. And I think they um I think it cost 
and it cost it do cost the um, circus money for to take them to to take them this place and that place. Um, it costs a lot of money, really, to uh, to finance, especially with the especially with the train. They have a train that uh, that uh, that carries the circus. Ooh, wow, the motorcycles! Whoa. I'm sorry, I'm like a big kid when it comes to circuses. <laughs> I'm like a big kid. <laughs> I and see it, you it, like it. Yeah, and, and, and watching them, just watching them is so cool. I have not seen them in person, but I've seen them on TV. And I see them, how they perform. Oh, man, the high... Why act? I don't know how they do. I don't know how they do it. But it's the champ, the the chimpanzees. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Flips and all. Wow. And they got to be good too. I know. This is one of them. This is one of those things that ain't no fake on that one. Nope, it can't be. Wow, okay. Whoa. Just watching them is amazing. And just watching especially on the kids' faces as they perform, they're in amazement. <laughs> but like I said, it's just too bad that they are they're ending. This circus has lasted a long time. Oh, the unicycles, they're playing basketball. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I like the unicyclists. They, they're good. You, the you, the, the unicyclists, they, they're really cool. I like, I like when uh, they get on a unicycle and and uh. On the unicycle, they're playing basketball on the unicycle. And I, I kid you not. All right, but like I said, the Peter and Peter and um, the Humane Society are—they're happy that this is ending because because they're for. You know, because of that, because of animal rights and the treatment of animals. So, I, I believe they said this is a victory for them. But yeah, because they're training. In order to train those wild animals, you have to do some very strong training. So yeah, to really break their spirit. And that's one of the reasons why they were doing that because of the elephants. Oh yeah, because the elephants that tend the ears. They was they were doing things to hurt the elephants, and the elephant just give up and do what you want them to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
You didn't know that uh, the uh, circus started here in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, though. Oh, I didn't know that. P.T. Barnum used to own, well, he was a starter. P.T. Barnum started the, the circus here in Bridgeport. Okay. And they say he used to plow, he used to plow his, with his elephants down at the park in fields. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He has elephants behind the plow. Oh, my goodness. And uh, and I live around the corner from where Numa Tom Thumb, the, the shortest man. Yeah. Well, his house is still standing here in Bridgeport, around the corner from where I live. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Very, very small rooms, you know. Oh, wow, man. So, well, you know. The circus had very, very good, uh, how you call it, uh, a good impact on the community and the society. But like you say, because of the animal rights, because of the way they train the animals, instead of being patient with them, and they they quick training them nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they they, they abuse them too much. Oh yeah. Because I just saw behind the scenes of how they how they beat. The elephant so much. Yeah. See. Well, and then they don't they don't take the baby elephant and train them from start from that side. They try they get from a, a older elephant, so they don't have to be taking all the years of feeding them. Is get them back up to the place? You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's it's a lot of stuff behind it, you know. Oh yeah. You're gonna be on tomorrow at five thirty. What's the topic this time? I don't know. I still want to stay into attitudes and relationships. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's a battle for your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And having the right attitude will help you help a lot. But the wrong attitude will destroy you. Who, who, real quick, who, who has the worst attitude, men or women? Huh? Who has the worst attitude, men or women? Women. Okay. <laughs> well, that's just a close out, a close subject matter because women are more, uh, how you call it? Uh, they got more uh, uh, nerve. I don't know. A man is more cool and calm about things. He like he could care less. A woman gets this more excited and more concerned about things. Yeah, and emotional. And oh uh, yeah, that's the word I want. Emotional. So, it, it's gonna be tomorrow at five thirty, six thirty on. Yep. Dot org. All right. Downview TV, one word. All right. As usual. As usual. All right, brother man. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful day. You too. And don't forget the power of the lamb. Coming soon at a bookstore near you. Oh, yeah, okay. All okay, right. then. <laughs> The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Shoes, Generating Productions, Sonia.com, 
added sponsors. This has been Nature Talk, the Sunday Evening Forum, airing every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to join me next time on Nation Talk. Till then, good night and God bless you. And to Ringling Brothers, Beverly Barnaby, Betty Circus, thank you for so many years of of enjoyment. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.